before we begin this portion, let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want you to think about three problems, infertility, a difficult pregnancy, and sibling rivalry. These were three of the problems that Rebecca faced and that Isaac faced together. Because of their faith and their trust in God, though, they learned to see their difficulties differently than many people do. Sometimes when people have difficulty, uh, they give up, or they, even, they question their faith in God, or they even become angry and so disappointed that they turn away from God. But in the case of Rebecca and Isaac, facing these difficulties, they pressed into God. And this is one of the hallmarks of true disciples, those who really are uh, lovers of God. And when they pressed into God, the Lord shared with them some priceless secrets that made all the difference in their lives and situations. And these, these priceless secrets are things that nobody could know uh, without God's help. And maybe you've had an experience like that where you needed, you needed help. You needed something that would help you understand what you were going through and why and where it was headed. Have, have any of you ever faced that? And you seek the Lord and you find some answers from him. Two of my favorite scriptures that speak about these kinds of priceless scriptures are from the prophets and from the Psalms. Let me uh, ask you to turn with with me to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Incidentally, these are also posted on Facebook, so you can find them at our podcast page, uh, Messianic Jewish Teachings, or our congregational page, Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue or on my personal page, David Levine, on Facebook, and you'll see all these scriptures so that you can find them readily and refer to them later at home. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, the Lord says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. These will be great things, not insignificant, and they'll be unsearchable. That means no matter how hard and how diligently you try to find them on your own, you won't be able to. When I started reading this last night to the congregation, I was reminded of an experience that that Sandy and I had years ago. We'd moved into a new house, and we had not unpacked everything but we had some business papers that we desperately needed to work with, and we looked everywhere and we couldn't find them. And we were desperate. And we got to the point of spiritual frustration where I knew I will not find them because it felt like God was hiding them from me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I wasn't angry with the Lord. I was frustrated because I thought, what's the point of looking any further It seems like the Lord's hiding them. And so in that frustration, I just stopped looking. Well, that night, one of our staff who had not been to our new house and didn't know the situation we were facing had a dream. And in the dream, she walked into our house and went to a certain place. And 
she found exactly what we were looking for, but she didn't know we were looking for it. And she didn't know the new house. She didn't know any of that. So in the morning, when she woke up after the dream, she calls and she says, I had a dream and I feel a little bit funny, but are you missing something? Uh Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, why? And she said, well, I had a dream. I know where it is. So she came over to our house that she had not been in And we walked down the stairs to the basement that she had not been in. She looked around, and she said, it's over there. And so she walks to a corner. And then in that corner, there are shelves. And on one of the shelves, there are many boxes. And she goes to a specific box. And she said, yeah, it's this one. And then we take the box down, she opens it up, she reaches inside, and she pulls out the papers that we couldn't find. And she said, yeah, that's, this is what I saw in the dream. Now, that's an experience you do not forget. I had not, I had not remembered it when I was reading this scripture this week. But when I got up last night, the Holy Spirit brought it to my mind and said, that's unsearchable. That's what unsearchable means. That you can't find it, but if I help you, you can find it. But no matter how much effort you put into the unsearchable things, you will not find them. So another way of saying this is, these are things that are hidden, they're inaccessible, but God will show them to you, and it will make all the difference in the world. Psalm 25, verses 12 through 15, continues in this, <clears throat> in this direction. Let me read to you one translation. It says, who are the people who fear the Lord? The Lord will instruct them in the way they should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity, and his seed will inherit the earth. <clears throat> the secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. Say that with me. The secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. And he makes the covenant, his covenant, known to them. My eyes are continually on the Lord, and he will pluck my feet out of the snare. What What an incredible promise from God. He will confide in us his secrets. He knows things that we don't know. And he will tell us some things we don't know because he can trust us. So the condition is he is only going to share these secrets with those who fear him. And with this background, we can look at the Torah portion this week, Parshat Toldot, and we can read about the three problems that I mentioned at the beginning. Problem number one, infertility. So let's just say that, infertility. We read in Genesis 25... Verse 21, that Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. She was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. You see, it was visible, it was obvious that Rebekah couldn't get pregnant because she wasn't pregnant, and they were trying, they were doing their part, but she wasn't pregnant, and in in that time period, it was not only a disappointment, but in a sense, it was a shame if you couldn't conceive. Because it meant that the blessings of God, were, the normal blessings of God were being withheld 
from you. Well, we read about what makes the difference. And you know what the difference is? Isaac prayed. He prayed and the Lord answered. And sometimes when we pray, we're actually casting all of our worries and all of our fears and all the weight of our disappointments that have accumulated upon us. We cast them upon the Lord and we start thanking him and then we make our petitions known with thanksgiving. I believe it's very hard to be full of worry and anxiety and to be thankful at the same time. Thankfulness will drive out worry and anxiety. And you can cast your worries upon the Lord. And when you do that, it frees you up to be thankful. And one of the ways you cast them is you start thanking him already with whatever power you have, whatever memory you have. Sometimes it's useful to have notes about the good things God has done so that if you can't remember because of difficult uh, times, you go back to your notes and you start recounting them. So the Lord answers. And this was a priceless secret for Isaac and Rebekah. They learned that when, when you have difficulty, pray to God and he'll give answers. So she conceives because God answered Isaac's prayer. Now, many times when we get an answer to prayer that's direct and it's affirmative, let my wife conceive. She conceives. Okay, hallelujah, problem solved. Life is good. Isn't that what we think? This is going to be great. Oh, I am so excited. But that actually was the introduction to problem number two, which was a difficult pregnancy. So it's, it's like praying for a new job and you get that job and you're so grateful and then you go to work and you start praying that God will deliver you from your boss and from the hours and the tasks because yeah, it's so hard. <laughs> Problem number two is the difficult pregnancy. Rebecca thought she was going to die. And we read about this in Genesis 25 verses uh, 22 and 23. The children fought with each other inside her so much that she said, if it's going to be like this, why go on living? (laughs) Why did I ever get pregnant? (laughs) So she went to inquire of the Lord, and he answered her. Now, remember, when people pray because they're in pain and because they're suffering and because it's so difficult... Most prayers are get me out of this prayers, right? Help me by taking away the pain, the suffering, etc. Because nobody believes in suffering. But Rondi, who helped us see the value of it. And Yeshua, who found this one of the hardest ideas for his disciples to embrace, that he had to suffer, which meant they had to suffer. But there is a victory that comes through suffering, and you can't get the victory without it. It's not that we like to suffer, it's we want the victory. And so the Lord answers Rebekah, and this is his answer. Verse 23, there are two nations in your womb. It's not just two boys. You're not having a medical emergency. There are two whole nations. No wonder. I mean, there's not room inside for two nations. And from birth, they will be two rival peoples. 
Well, that's not good news, is it? Because isn't it the desire of every mom for your kids to get along? Even if you have only one kid, you want them to get along. (laughs) One of these peoples will be stronger than the other. And the older one will serve the younger. Now these details are in here so that we'll remember them because they explain what happens next. If you ignore them or forget them, you won't understand the rest of the story. So physically it was terribly painful and she sought the Lord and she got an answer. It's two nations that are in the womb. Now why is that? You see God is bringing forth what he knows he must bring forth. In order to bring forth Israel he has to do it this way. The priceless secret. There'll be rival peoples. That's one part. Second part, one of them will be stronger than the other. Third part, the older will serve the younger. Say that with me. The older will serve the younger. Now without this information, Rebecca couldn't make sense of her pregnancy, of of her suffering, of, of her children, and of her family. She couldn't make sense of her present condition, her future condition, or the situation that was in front of her. Now if that wasn't enough, it was problem number three. Sibling rivalry and conflict. The twins grew up and they were clearly different. We read this in Genesis 25, starting in verse 27. The boys grew and Esau became a skillful hunter and outdoorsman, while Yaakov was a quiet man who stayed in the tents. And Isaac favored Esau because he had a taste for game, and Rebekah favored Jacob. So Esau was a hunter, he was an outdoorsman, he liked to kill things not just for the sake of killing, he liked to hunt. And he liked to eat what he, uh, what he hunted. Jacob was quiet, he's sort of a homebody, maybe a, a bookworm of sorts. Uh, don't know if he had real thick glasses, probably not. Dad showed favor to one son, mom showed favor to the other son. The sibling conflict does not go away. But the root cause of it is not that parents are showing favoritism. If, if, if you think, oh, that's why they shouldn't have shown favoritism, then you're missing it because the scripture explains it's not the parents, it's God who made a decision, who chose before they were ever born, before they'd ever done anything, he chose one for certain purposes and the other for other purposes. Genesis 25, verse 29. One day when Jacob had cooked some stew. That's interesting. So uh, Jacob was a cook too. Esau came in from the open country, exhausted, and said to Jacob, please let me gulp down some of that red stuff. That red stuff. This is Stern's translation. It's, It's pretty faithful to the Hebrew. That red stuff, I'm exhausted. And then this comment, this is why he was called Edom or Edom, because that means red. And so it's like a play on words, and there's some indication that the second use of red is uh, about a condiment, a red condiment. If you've ever been to modern Israel, you may have had zhug, which is a Yemenite uh, hot pepper condiment. I was introduced to it it uh, uh, by some Israeli guys who thought they were really funny. And uh, one Saturday evening, eating with them, they, they pulled out some zug. 
didn't explain to me what it was. I said, well, what is it? They said, oh, it's, it's really sweet. Try it. <laughs> I put it on uh, a boreca, as I remember. I took one bite, and as soon as I swallowed, I started coughing up smoke, you know. <laughs> and I coughed, and, and I cried. Those hot pepper tears, you know what I'm talking about? And this was the kind of hot pepper that stays in the throat. It rises to your face. It goes up to the top of your head, and it comes out your ears as well. It was full-blown. And I'm coughing. I can't talk. And those guys are laughing their heads off for five minutes. And so after I stopped coughing, they said, so did you like it? And I said, very sweet. Let's have some more. You got to when you're in Israel with guys like that. So I, I imagine that uh, Esau was wanting some of that special condiment, that salsa or zhug or whatever it was. Because he says, I'm exhausted. Let me, let me gulp down that red stuff. Oh, that red stuff. And Jacob answered, okay, but first you got to sell me your birthright as a firstborn. And uh, Esau says, look, I'm about to die. Somebody once said that the Jews have mastered the use of apocalyptic extremes (laughs) in order to describe their situation. (laughs) How's the traffic? It's murder. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What use to me are my rights as a firstborn? Like, what do I care? Give me the stew. Okay, you can be the firstborn. It doesn't matter. And Jacob says, swear to me. And so he swore to him. He sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave him bread, lentil stew, and he ate and drank. He got up, he went on his way. And then take note of this, because this is an important comment. In this way, Esau showed how little He valued the birthright. In Esau's mind, this was insignificant. You know, a stupid brother wants my birthright. I don't even care. I just want some stew. I'm I'm dying of hunger. But God looks at it and says, you don't even know what you're doing. But you're showing me you don't care at all to be firstborn. So the Lord knew some things. And he understood some things. And Esau is that man who really doesn't care about being firstborn. He doesn't care about the blessings and he doesn't care about the responsibilities. Now we notice from this, this family likes stew. They really do. They like to cook, they like game. What they eat is important to me. And we see a principle at work. There's a hidden thing, there's a secret thing that couldn't be known or understood properly without the Lord's help. And the secret is about something invaluable, but it's only considered invaluable by the people who actually are keeping faith with God, and Esau was not. So Esau has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't understand, but Jacob does. But if you think of this as just simply they're two different personalities being in conflict and playing out, you're missing something. Because the story keeps reminding us that God chose 
in advance. And not everything that God wants to accomplish is settled in advance, but a lot of things are. Certain things are. And this was one of those. Esau didn't recognize the value, but Jacob recognized the value, and Rebekah did too. That's important to understand the rest of the story. Jacob and Rebekah considered this a settled matter, but Esau did not even care. And we go on to Genesis 27, verse 1 through 4. In the course of time, after Isaac had grown old and his eyes dim so that he couldn't see, he called Esau his older son and he said to him, My son? And he answered, He nanny, here I am. And he said, Look, I'm old. I don't know when I will die. And I can tell you one thing. I'm hungry. Please take your hunting gear, your quiver of arrows and your bow. Go out in the country. Get me some game. And then verse 4. Some of you have relatives who would speak to you like this. Make it tasty. Make it the way I like it. Maybe you have a crotchety uncle or grandfather. He says, now do it the way I like it. You know the way I like it. Do it that way. How many of you have those people in your family? They absolutely want you to do it the way they want you to do it. That's the way Isaac was at this moment. Make it tasty the way I like it. Bring it to me to eat. And afterwards, I'll bless you as the firstborn before I die. So I'll give you that blessing. You see, Isaac's not thinking about what the Lord has given to Rebekah about Jacob or about Esau. Isaac's not thinking about it, and Esau's not thinking about it. He's not even remembering that he sold the birthright. So after this, after this uh, conversation, Rebekah overhears, and she tells Jacob to act like he's Esau. You know the story. And if you don't, you should read all the details for yourself in chapter 27. And so together they, they get Isaac to think he's blessing Esau when he's actually blessing Jacob. And for many years I, I thought of this simply as manipulation or deception because outwardly it is. But it turns out this is not just a manipulative Jewish mother doing these things. The earlier details, those are the secrets from the Lord. The reason that they're in the scriptures is so that you and I would know them in advance so that we could rightly understand what's going on. The earlier details let us know the real motivation, and the real motivation is not personality, it's from the Lord. You see, God had decided and he settled something even before the boys were born, and I think Rebecca's actions are understandable only in light of God's sovereign choices and his decision to share hidden things with her, priceless secrets with her. This was not... Rebecca trying to make something happen against the will of God. Outwardly it was deception. But in reality the deception was insignificant because the plan of God was always that the older would serve the younger. And this is how it unfolded. Don't get lost in details in the story or in your life if you miss this one part. Because the, the prophets got it. And the apostles got it. For instance, we can read in Romans 9, verse 11 through 13. Before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, so that God's plan of election, the choices he made would stand, it wasn't by the works or the actions that they did. It was rather by the one, him, the Lord, who calls them. 
Rebecca was told this, the older will serve the younger. It wasn't because of his behavior. It wasn't because he just didn't deserve it. It's because God called Jacob, the younger, to be in charge, to be stronger, and to receive the covenantal blessing. That was God's choice. Now you could say, that's not right. That's not fair. And uh, Paul addresses that in Romans. He says, no, God actually has a right. The prophets address that and say, can, can the pot say to the potter something? You know, how dare you make me this way? <laughs> God chooses. He has the sovereign right, and he chooses. And through this, we learn. So we learn about these priceless secrets, and through this example, we learn about how God works in our lives. And in much the same way, God took the hidden things and revealed them to Joseph and Miriam, the parents of Yeshua. What outwardly looked like a crisis pregnancy was in fact a priceless secret. And through this crisis pregnancy, God was bringing forth the consolation of Israel, Yeshua the Messiah. But put yourself in their situation. Can you imagine being engaged? And the belly's growing of, the, of this young woman. And the family is embarrassed and they're ashamed. And it's visible and it's public. And, and Joseph says, I, I didn't touch her. How many think, yeah, right. You wouldn't believe it. That's what they faced. He was even thinking of quietly breaking everything off. It would be like a divorce. But the Lord gave him a priceless secret. You see, the Lord knew what he was doing. This was not an accidental conception. This was not, in fact, a mistake. This crisis pregnancy was the way that God was doing it. And once Miriam and Joseph understood this is the will of God, not that she got pregnant because they'd been fornicating, they hadn't been if we can talk straight. But this was how God was working. Now I can tell you this, Yeshua, who is priceless, is not recognized by everybody. That's the way it is. That's the way it is with God's priceless secrets. Just because the Lord says, this is the reality, doesn't mean everybody's going to accept that or agree with it. In fact, the only ones who do are those who are fearing the Lord. The secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. He'll make them know his covenant. You see, he'll keep referring back to and building on the covenants he's made. So God may have shared some priceless secrets with you. You may be loving people who others have given hope up, given up hope for. You may be valuing people and situations that other people despise. You may have set your heart and considered dear what others consider worthless. And I would just tell you, hold on. Hold on. If God's put it in your heart, hold on. If God's given you one of his priceless secrets, hold on to that priceless secret. You can keep faithful. You can be a man or 
a woman of faith and prayer. Don't forget to pray. Don't try to carry it on your own. But keep these things in your heart. Treasure them. Keep them before the Lord. And don't forget the world around you may show no respect for what you now hold dear. Even worse, they may mock you. That's just the way it is. So let someone punch you on the shoulder if they have to and say, that's the way it is. Get used to it. There may be people in your own family who have a low regard for God. They may have a low regard for what God has made priceless to you. That's just the way it is. As God takes you into his confidence and he shares his priceless secrets, that's one of the ways that you really become messianic, meaning you become like Messiah. And I'll close with this one scripture, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, speaking of Messiah. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Do you see that? To be truly messianic means to delight in the fear of the Lord. To be like Messiah means you delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by the outward things, by the visible things, by the obvious things that everybody can see. He won't judge by what his eyes see or make a decision by what his ears hear. Others say, it will be the secrets of the Lord that allow him to judge and to recognize. And he'll see people for who they are and what they are. That's why he could call a fisherman. That's why he could call a tax collector. That's why he could call a, a really short guy. Short people are people too in the kingdom of God. He could call someone up in a tree. He could call prostitutes. He could call tax collectors. And when he calls them, there's one thing for them to do, and that's respond. It's one thing to be called, but it's another thing to respond to the calling. Until we respond, then there's not that matching up, that pairing up, that connection of the heart, of the faith, and of the action that makes us truly people who fear the Lord and then receive all the benefits that come with that. But with that wholehearted response, you know what? Everything changes. And everything changes for the good. Even the problems become good. Not easy. And if anybody tries to sell you the idea that if you become a believer, you won't have any problems, don't believe them. You will have problems. Yeshua said it. You will have trouble. Many of you knew that was in the Gospels. You will have trouble, but take heart in this world. I will overcome. You will overcome. You won't, you won't just have meaningless problems. You'll have persecution because of your faith. But beyond that, God calls you to be an overcomer. And the secrets of the Lord are one of the keys for overcoming. Without them, you could just be wandering through life thinking, I'm infertile, there's nothing that can be done. I've got a difficult pregnancy, there's nothing that can be done. I've got kids who don't get along with each other. 
There's nothing that can be done. But the secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. Well, I want to pray for anyone who needs help from God. I don't think I'm the only one. If, if you need information from the Lord, wisdom from the Lord, direction from the Lord in order to deal with impossible situations you're facing or those that are being faced by loved ones or those you care for, will you join me in just asking the Lord for his help? Anybody in that condition? Okay, all of you who are, you can raise your hand, you can stand up, you can raise a pinky, you can lift your eyebrows, you can say, I'm standing up on the inside. Lord, nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is impossible for you. Great and mighty God, you are awesome in what you do, in what you say, and what you may come to pass. All of your words are true and righteous. Lord, we come to you with our problems, with our situations, and we ask, Lord, reveal to us your secret things so that we would have the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge in order to see it the way you see it and to do what would be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing, and then immediately after, we're going to all go next door to the Shalom Center, and we're going to have an Oneg together. And that's where you can congratulate Rondi on her terrific bat mitzvah today. So don't hang out here. Take your stuff over there, okay? And don't forget, get your kids now as soon as we leave. Don't leave them behind. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'era Adonai p'nave lecha v'yichinecha. Yisa Adonai p'nave lecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. See you next door.